I have some good news that I want to share. And the good news comes from Isaiah 59, verse 1. Uh, you can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screen here. Uh, this was spoken by a prophet from God 700 years, or it was written from a prophet by a prophet from God 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. And so Isaiah says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. And we're going to focus on the first part of that verse this morning. And I want to say it again. This is the, the best news that I've ever heard, because surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. That speaks, that kind of rhetorical question speaks to a lot of people, myself included, because if, if you're like me, you may have felt like or heard someone say something to the degree of, I don't feel like I'm good enough for God, or God can forgive other people, but I don't think he, I think I'm a little bit out of reach. I don't know if he can reach me, because I, I've been a special kind of bad. We all think we're like some sort of special kind of bad. And so people use this as a uh, not, a, not an excuse, but people have this fear haunting them, even as followers of Jesus. But Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was even here, assured us that surely God's arm is not too short to save us. So if you don't hear anything else, I want you to know that, because that's enough. Uh, but if you do want to hear something else, I have a few stories that will be really helpful for you. Uh, I want to tell you a story about a guy named Jeremy. Jeremy's a really special uh, friend of mine. Uh, I'm going to tell you Jeremy's life story, like in a nutshell. Um, Jeremy was six years old uh, when someone came to his apartment complex in Houston to give him and his twin brother a ride to church. This is Jeremy and his wife today. Um, actually, they're in church right now, but that's a picture of them. Um, this, is, this is Jeremy, and Jeremy was picked up to go to church by a volunteer when he was six years old. And his parents weren't Christians, and his other siblings weren't Christians. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't have friends from school that went to church. They just found out that there was an opportunity to go to a church that probably had snacks, and snacks are not a bad motivation to go to church. So Jeremy and his brother, Gerald, show up at church, and they sat, I don't know if they sat in the front or the back or where, but they were sitting alone not very long before some random person came and sat by them and learned their names, and learned where they went to school, and asked them questions about their lives, and learned what they were interested in. Someone came and sat by them because they saw two kids that didn't come to church with their family. They were all alone. And so that got them interested. They, that won their favor because they didn't get attention much many other places. Um, they didn't get much attention at school or in the sports they played or in their daycare. They were just a face in the crowd but this Sunday morning, they weren't a face in the crowd. Someone saw them. So they kept going to church, and they got involved in the children's ministry there. And the children's ministry did all kinds of things. But most importantly, in their children's ministry, people learned their names, and they learned what they were interested in. They learned what their family life and their home life was like. They spent time with them, loving these two boys like Christ loved the church. Because these volunteers, these high school and college and older adult members of this church rallied around these kids that needed love in their lives and spent time with them on purpose. So that kept them involved. They were, they were interested because of that. They go on to be in middle school and high school and into the youth group, and they continue to develop relationships with people who were following Jesus and showing them how to live. Jeremy went to college in Houston, kept going to this church when he was a college, age, college student, and got a degree in Bible because of the way his youth minister specifically influenced him with, with Jesus. 
uh, and he became the youth minister uh, is when he was 23 out of college. And I got the privilege of being one of his first interns the first summer he was a youth minister. And I would tell you that he knew everything he was doing. He was a professional and that he was one of the best youth ministers I'd ever seen. And he would tell, tell you in hindsight that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was scary. I had these interns to handle and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was great. We had a lot of fun. And, but on my perspective, he was a guy that was following Jesus and loving kids and showing people how to lead, which is what I gained from him. And because of this influence he had on me as an intern, I, did, uh, I, I interviewed him and I said, what was it that made the church valuable to you growing up? What made the difference? Because I don't want to waste our time in youth ministry doing things that are superficial and a waste of time. He said, we did all kinds of things in children's ministry and, and middle school and high school as I was growing up. And they were all fun. They were all wonderful. But what mattered is that there were men in my life that loved me because God loved them and spent time with me because they knew that God loved me. And those men taught me how to act and how to live and how to think differently. But most importantly, they, thought, they taught Jeremy through their lifestyle how to love other people like Christ loves us. So like Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, 59 says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. The arm of the Lord reached through dozens, maybe hundreds of people throughout Jeremy's years from six years old until now. The arm of the Lord reached through all those people in all kinds of different ways, small and large, to show him God's grace. Uh, in Isaiah, he was speaking about the arm of the Lord metaphorically because nobody knew what God looked like. Nobody could see God. If, if Moses was in God's presence, he only saw his back, and he was glowing after that encounter with God. But nobody had seen God until Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus comes on the scene and is literally called God with us, Emmanuel. We talk about that every Christmas. But God became a man and experienced temptation and pain and sorrow. The prophets referred to him as a man of sorrows. He experienced all these things the same way we experience them, fully human and fully God. So Isaiah said the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And Jesus comes on the scene and is literally the arm of God. And in uh, the Gospels, you'll see this story where Peter is walking on water and starts to, he's walking on water by a miracle, obviously, starts to doubt, sinks, and Jesus, the arm of God, reaches out and saves him and brings him back up. And you think that's a cool story. Later on, Peter goes and disowns Jesus, and then Jesus brings him back after the resurrection. He restores him, and he starts the church on him. So the arm of God is not too short to save, because if it can save Peter, it can save us. Um, other times, you see Jesus interacting with people. People who had literally died, Jesus brought back to life. People with skin diseases, which at the time were a death sentence. Jesus touched them, which was unthinkable. And instead of getting the disease, Jesus touching them brought them life instead of bringing Jesus death. Because surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. When Jesus met someone who had been brought out in the open because of their sin and humiliated, and they were challenging Jesus because of legal issues, Jesus forgave the person, right? The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Nobody came into contact, in contact with Jesus who was too far out of reach for God. And the, us, the church, 
here at Western Hills and in Houston, all around the world, we are the body of Christ, brought together, reaching out to save people on God's behalf. If you want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, this is a super powerful verse I want to share with y'all. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. If you've got a pen, underline this. If you've got a highlighter, highlight it. Um, bolder words have rarely been spoken than these few verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. And if you're in the youth group and you have one of the new journaling Bibles, it's on page 1466. This is Paul, and I want to give a little bit of a backstory for what Paul, what the, the value of what Paul is saying here. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. That's why it's the, the letter to the Corinthians. Paul is speaking to this church that has all kinds of issues. And if you read all the two letters to the Corinthians, you'll see what kind of issues these churches, this church was dealing with. There were really awkward issues and very dysfunctional uh, systems. However, Despite the earthly, the fleshly problems that they had at this church, Paul still says this to them in verse 20 and 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's spokesmen, Christ's uh, representation. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering or to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this righteousness of God that in the Old Testament was unapproachable, now because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can have access to that and through Christ we can become ourselves the righteousness of God. In all the dysfunction of this church in Corinth, God was still the righteousness of them. And not just the righteousness, but God was reaching out through the Corinthian church to the surrounding areas because surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Um, what was the thing that made the difference for Jeremy when he was in youth group and it, when he was in children's ministry in Houston? It was all the people. Like I said, it wasn't the specific things they did as a youth ministry and as a children's ministry when he was younger. But it was all these individuals who did little things and who did big things that made the difference in Jeremy's life. And those people were the outstretched arm of God for him. The youth group here is the same thing. It's the same mission. It's the this church is the outstretched arm of God to our students and to our area. So on uh, Wednesday nights, as Scott mentioned, we have this thing called Summit. And you may have never heard of it because you may not be here on Wednesday nights because of covid um, but this thing we do uh, called Summit, um, we do a lot of different things. Usually we play games and sing and someone shares a message and we break out into groups. But those details aren't important. What's important is that we have these disciple group leaders, we call them, uh, formerly known as volunteers. Um, but we don't have a youth minister, we have a church full of youth ministers. So these are our disciple group leaders, also known as our other youth ministers, and they've taken their time out of every Wednesday night to show up and spend time with these students and show them what the love of God is like and show them what it means to be the righteousness of God. And they do so because somebody somewhere along the road reached them. And so they're paying this forward to these students and they're being the arm of God for our teens here in Temple. Now you may look at a group of leaders like this and think, 
okay, yeah, those people are special. Like, th- th- those are some high-quality individuals, and that's true. And you may be thinking, I can't do something like that. I can't come and do group discussion on a Wednesday night. Uh, maybe your time doesn't afford it. Uh, maybe you don't, just don't feel qualified as a person with your personality. But it's not these individuals on their own power that are valuable in God's kingdom. These people are valuable because there's something greater behind them. Um, here's something, here's a, a trendy quote that I learned when I was in middle school that kind of made an impression on me, and you may have heard it before. The quote is, God does not qual- call the qualified, but in turn he qualifies the called. So you may feel like you don't have the, th- the, the right things in order, but it's not important for you to have the right things in order. God has called you, and if he has called you, he will give you everything necessary to run the race of faith and to serve others and love people. Um, One way we see this is in the Gospels. We see this picture where Jesus is teaching this multitude of 5,000 people. And he teaches them for so long that they're out late in the day, and they're hungry, and they're too far from any civilized source of food to eat. And they're thinking, oh, we should probably let these people go to eat. But it was too far for them to go get something something to eat. And Jesus, God with us, looks to his earthly disciples, which were ordinary men like you and me, He looks at his disciples and says, you give them something to eat. There's 5,000 people here. This is a huge crowd. And Jesus puts it on these 12 guys to feed 5,000 people. And I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know if they cracked a joke, something, uh, something satirical. But they said, we have two fish and five loaves. I don't know if they were big fish or big loaves, but I imagine they weren't big enough to feed nearly 5,000 people, obviously. So Jesus takes what they had, their small gift, and he provides enough for everybody to eat and be full and have leftovers. And if you're like me, you'd probably really like to have the kind of bread and fish that Jesus would create out of nothing. That'd be really good food. Um, Jesus does this huge miracle for 5,000 people with a small gift that his disciples were humbly willing to give up. So, If you feel like you're not qualified to be a youth minister, to be a children's minister, to be the arm of God in people's life, remember it's not you, but Christ working through you on others' behalf. Now, if you're a step more skeptical than that, you would say, yes, Justin, but Jesus isn't here anymore, and he can't do those miracles. And I say, that's pretty valid, okay? Jesus isn't here. Jesus literally turned the fish and the bread into enough to feed a crowd of 5,000 people. But we have something even better than Jesus, by his own words. He said, Jesus said, I'm going away, but I have to go away because if I don't go away, you can't have the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to leave, and I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to you, and it's been referred to that the Holy Spirit will be poured over all the earth, and the Holy Spirit will be a down payment, a deposit for the things to come. And we've talked about this during the Holy Spirit series, but Jesus bequeaths the Holy Spirit on these men, and it, uh, it's contagious. And, and Jesus says, it is better for you to have the Holy Spirit than for you to have me. So, if the Holy Spirit is better for us than Jesus in the flesh, and Jesus can feed 5,000 people, then what can the Holy Spirit do through you and me? Ordinary people with small gifts, small amounts of money, small amounts of time, not very eloquent in words, obviously, and go and take those small gifts and do everything that God needs to be done throughout all the world.
because surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Let's go back one, one page in my Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's some more bold words to a church that had a lot of problems, but it didn't matter that this church had problems because it was not them that mattered, but it was the Holy Spirit and Christ in them. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17, underline this and read it every time you feel insignificant. Paul speaks to him, he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma, underline the aroma, the aroma, the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Really, who is equal to such a task? How daunting a responsibility. He says, unlike so many, we don't, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So he t- this language of being sent from God, and later in chapter 5, like we read, he calls us ambassadors, spokesmen, the representation of Jesus to the ends of the world and to our communities and to our families. Here, the imagery Paul is using is this aroma, this smell. He said, you, this broken church in Corinth, you're the aroma of Christ to everybody around you. And to Western Hills, same at Houston, same at every other church, we are the body of Christ, the aroma to the world of the message of eternal life that he brings. Because surely the arm of the Lord isn't too short to save. When I think of an aroma... I think of my house after I have cooked a pork shoulder in the smoker for eight hours. I take it and I put it in my oven at 300 degrees to make sure it's at 200. The pork on the inside is at 200 degrees so that it's tender. So it's got this smoked flavor that's like all the way through it. And I put it in the oven to get it up to temperature. And over three hours, the house begins to smell like the best barbecue place you've ever been to. And... It's actually so strong that if you're there too long, it's a little abrasive. You're like, whew, this is, I mean, there's like smoke in the air just from that piece of meat. And if you, if you come over while we have pulled pork, you will leave smelling like pulled pork. You'll smell like smoke. So I, I try not to do pulled pork on Saturday night because I come to church and smell like smoke and it looks weird. Um, this aroma goes throughout the whole house. It's in every corner of the house. It's in your, the fibers of your clothing. You can smell it for days. An aroma can't be stopped by anything. If you've ever had uh, something that stinks before, it's really hard to get that smell out. And if you've ever had something that smells good, it permeates every corner. So Paul is saying to this church that you are the aroma of Christ. You permeate every corner of the world. Uh, If you've ever been to grandmother's house, when it's Thanksgiving, you'll smell that aroma of all those baked goods, the bread and the pies and the cookies. That aroma fills everything and you feel at home. It's the same at coffee shops and other places that smell wonderful. But how does an aroma spread? Now, since we're... uh, We've just come out of COVID. Uh, We're very familiar with droplets and particles in the air. But an aroma is tiny particles of something that are a piece of that that you pick up and sense. And how do they spread? They spread through air, through wind. When when air, uh, the molecules of air are moving around because there's temperature, and when that happens, 
things uh, permeate. So Paul is saying that you are this permeating uh, element of Christ that comes to the edges of the world in every corner. And back to how it spreads, it spreads by wind and by air. And it's interesting that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when referred to in Scripture, is referred to using the Greek word pneuma, which is where we get pneumatic, which pneumatic is usually used with tools, pneumatic air tools. And pneuma in the Greek meant wind or breath, and in certain contexts it was used to describe a life breath. And um, when you see in Genesis, God breathes, this isn't in Greek, but God breathed into the dust, breathed into the nostrils of man his own life. This is the kind of pneuma we're talking about. And in the New Testament, this pneuma refers to the Holy Spirit that Jesus also breathed on his disciples to give them, that they would have the kind of power that he had because they were included in him because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So this Numa, this spirit, this wind that we have is what equips us to do the kind of miracles that Jesus requires. Because surely the arm of God is not too short to save. You may think that you're insignificant. You may think that you only have a little bit of time and a little bit of money and a little bit of influence and you're not very funny or you're not very smart or whatever it is. And God is going to do great things through you with his spirit because it's not you alone that works, but it's him who works through you. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Just like in Jeremy's life, multiple dozens of people reached him with their small gifts. They were willing to sit by him. They were willing to learn his name. They were willing to help him with his schoolwork during the summer so that he could be on track when he went in the fall. Just how God worked through those people, God will work through you in small ways, but he'll do great miracles. The things of this world seem great, but the things of God... The small things of God are greater. Um, I want to tell you one more story, then I'll be done. There was this guy named Sessions in the early 1960s, and he was unfortunately a student at, at the University of Texas, and he was, um, he was raised in the church, but he was not raised following Jesus. Church was a Sunday thing for them. It was kind of just a cultural thing that you did. And so Sessions was moral. He was a good guy. He was already married, and this guy named Tex Williams started a relationship with him. And some of you, the name Tex Williams may ring a bell to some of you. He was this preacher in the Austin area, and through Tex, many lives were changed, including Sessions' life. And Tex shared the gospel. I don't know if it was an awkward conversation or if Tex had really smooth uh, relationship abilities to go out and make this impact on Sessions. But text shared the message of eternal life through Christ with him, and he, his life was changed. And just like when Jeremy learned how to think and act, and most importantly, love in the way Christ loved, the same thing happened with Sessions through text. So God reached through him. And Sessions had three boys. One of them's name was Joel. Those boys got to grow up in a home where Christ was king, and they thought, and they acted, and they loved differently than the rest of the world. And that influenced those three boys. And Joel had a family his, of his own, and Joel raised them low, uh, loving Jesus uh, and under the kingship of, of Christ in all the things they did. And one of Joel's uh, kids' name is Justin, and he has a Sam Elliott mustache, and he's 6'5". And I heard the message of Jesus not just in one discussion, but through a lifestyle that my dad set 
as the aroma of Christ, filled with the Spirit, living and loving differently because of what my dad did. So God, somewhere along the way, reached texts who reached sessions, who reached my dad, and my dad reached me. And if the arm of God can reach that far, just in the course of 60 years, to reach somebody, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save you. Now, there's two things that may be going on in your mind right now. One, you may realize that you have a lot more power through Christ and the Holy Spirit than you thought you did. And you may already have the name of somebody in your mind that you know you need to be the arm of God to. Maybe somebody at school, maybe somebody here at church, maybe somebody in the workforce, maybe a family member. But you need to be praying for that person and spending time for that person, with that person, and investing in that person the same way all these uh, founding fathers of the faith invested as the arm of God in different people's life, like Sessions and my dad, me and Jeremy. And you read Hebrews 11 and you'll see this laundry list of people that spent their lives under God's rule following him. So there may be somebody that you know by name that you know you need to be bringing this message of to change their life. Or maybe you realize that God is reaching out to you and that God's arm is long enough to reach you. And there's somebody in your life that has already been working on you and the Holy Spirit through them has been working on you. And you may realize that you need to follow Jesus because Jesus has something to offer that's greater than anything else that we could have. So if you need to respond to that, I encourage you to um, seek that out. And if you need to be baptized uh, as, as the beginning of your relationship in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to do that. So if you're either one of those groups, which I assume you are, I want to pray for you and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your arm and for your spirit and for working uh, through us and in us. And thank you for reaching us. Please help us to be bold in what we do. Help us to be fearless because you have us through everything. Help us to be uh, joyful in all circumstances and give you praise for all good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.